We're uh, Genesis chapter 19, and we're going to actually read the text about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We have talked very uh, at length about chapter 18, where Abram uh, makes Abraham makes intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah, where we discussed. Then when Abraham was making intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah, some of the sins. And then we revisited this past, uh, what, the 15th. It's been a couple weeks, but on the 15th we uh, discussed the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah as we went to begin chapter 19. And we went and touched on a few things that were said, but we didn't really read through the whole material so we're going to read through the whole chapter, which is 38 verses. So you'll have to bear with me reading through 38 verses. And then we're going to touch on some of the points that I uh, noticed going through here, okay? Uh, this is in an effort to speed our progress up <laughs> through Genesis, but also to make sure we're continuing forward, right? So we're going to read all of Genesis 19. And it's, and there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground and said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house and tarry. All night and wash your feet and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways and they said nay but we will abide in the street all night and he pressed upon them greatly and they turned in unto him and entered into his house and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread and they did eat but before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round about, both old and young, all of the people from every quarter. And when they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. And Lot went out. At the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. But behold, uh, behold, now I have two daughters which have no, not known a man. Excuse me. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing for Therefore, therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. And they said again, This one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will uh, need, and he will needs be a judge. Now will he deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot. And came near to break the door. But the men 
put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, and the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon him, his hand, and upon his wife, and upon the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto them, unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass that when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for, their li for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stand thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape into the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold now this city is near flee uh, behold now this city is near to flee unto and it is a little one oh let me escape thither it is not a little one and my soul shall live or is it not a little one and my soul shall live and he said unto him see i have accepted thee concerning this thing also and i will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken Haste thee, escape thither, for I can do nothing until I can do nothing till thou be come thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar, and the sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities that which grew up upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. And Abram got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and toward Gomorrah and toward all the plain and behold... And lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass that when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities 
in which Lot dwelt. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zohar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. And the firstborn said unto her younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, and we, uh, that we may preserve seed, the seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father. Let's, let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father." And they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he perceived not when she lay down or when she arose up. Thus were both of the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab, and the same is the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger, she also bare a son and called his name Ben-Ami, and the the same is the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. Wow. That was a lot of reading, okay? Now, there's a reason why I like going verse by verse and section by section, because we can spend a lot of time going over this. But I figured we could read this chapter and get through it since we went through most of the stuff that we read at one point or another talking about Abram and Lot's sins several times in just since Abraham and Lot have came into Genesis. We've talked a whole lot about this chapter uh, just geographically uh, when it brought up the sins of Sodom the first time that we said saw Abram and Lot split and Lot went toward Sodom. We talked about the sins of Sodom then. Then we talked about them again when Abram uh, uh, makes intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah. And then the 15th, we talked about him again. So I think it's fair to say that we've labored the point of Sodom's sin and that portion of this chapter. So I wanted to go through this. A few things that I just want to point off the top of my head while we're going through this. And I didn't even make notes because I have underlined so much in this Bible that brings back thoughts in my head that literally look underlined 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 I've underlined a whole bunch in here that just bring thoughts back to my head okay uh, it says and there came two angels to Sodom and even at Eden okay now first of all we know that these two angels are actually two of the men that left when Abram was talking to the Lord, right? Three men came to visit Abram. Uh, the two men left and one stayed there with Abram. We obviously understand that the Lord was one of these angels, right? Uh, the angel of the Lord or the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It has to be the pre-incarnate Christ because uh, 
John says that no man hath ever seen God at any time except the only begotten of the Father. So every time that God had to be seen in the Old Testament, it has to be a Christophany, not just a theophany. Not just God manifesting himself, but Christ manifesting himself because no one has seen God except the only begotten of the Father. So they had to have seen Christ or the angel of the Lord as he was referred to in the Old Testament. Amen. Uh, it says that Lot set in the gate of Sodom. This is very interesting that Lot seemingly has really no place in Sodom now. Okay, He had left Abram, pitched his tent towards Sodom, and it just seems like all of the thrill and all of the the, the lure and the allure of the city kept drawing Lot closer and closer and closer. And we note that sin will do that to a believer, okay? Because whether you, whether you understand this or not, Peter calls Lot righteous, okay? Peter calls Lot righteous, okay? I want to... Uh, let me see if I can find that. I think it's in Second Peter. I think it's there. I don't have this. Isn't a cross-reference Bible, but I'm almost certain it's in Second Peter. Let's see if I can find this real quick. Second Peter two. Let's see if I can find this. Okay, <clears throat> verse six. Well, we can start at verse five. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the aunt Noah saved Noah, the eighth person, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. Bringing in the flood upon the world of, of the ungodly and turning the cities of excuse me, Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly and delivered just lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them is seeing and hearing, vexed is vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Now, not only does he call Lot just, which means what? Righteous. The, the word just in the Old Testament is a connotation to righteousness. He's been justified a justified person has been given imputed righteousness that's what a justified person is we're justified before god because christ's righteousness is imputed or given unto us right now go ahead
right, but then you have to talk about what made Abraham righteous, and we talked about that. The only thing that made Abraham righteous was his faith in God, period. And the only thing that made Lot righteous is that he had faith in the God of Abraham, and he was actually under the covenant of Abraham. He was already circumcised. He's part of Abram's house. He's been circumcised, set under the covenant of God, right? God has set his seal in his flesh. So he's now parted parcel of the covenant of faith with Abraham, right? This is what makes Lot righteous, not his good deeds, obviously, right? No more than Abraham's good deeds made him righteous because he lied about his wife twice. Um, let's not forget the fact that he sent his, uh, let his wife send his other baby mama out into the wilderness to die. Right? Now, all of that being said, we can understand the reasons for some of these things happening, but at the same time, they're not righteous actions either. Amen? They may be the, the plan and will and work of God, but all in all, there's things that happen by human decision that are not necessarily righteous decisions. They may, may very well work out for the good and the benefit of people, but they're not necessarily right or righteous actions. Amen? So... Abraham is not righteous by his acts. He is righteous by faith in God. And Lot so is also righteous or just by his faith in God and his circumcision, circumcision of the heart by faith, right? See, that circumcision of the flesh was a seal of the covenant that Abraham had already had for 14 years. He'd already had this covenant for 14 years. He's just now been given the seal when, when uh, uh, oh gosh, what's his other son's name? Lot's older brother. What's his name? Or not Lot, uh, Isaac. Huh? Ishmael. Yeah. Ishmael is 14 when he's circumcised. Abram's 99, right? The, the reality of this situation is, is that all of his household was circumcised and Lot was still with him at that time because he had just rescued Lot, remember? He had rescued Lot from the kings that had made war with the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and the kings of the plains, right? So he rescues him. He's still part of his house again. He gets circumcised. Now let's... Let's keep going before we get trapped there because that's a big point because being justified in the Old, Test Old Testament was never different than it is in the New Testament. Justification by faith is still the requirement, even when the law was in place because you could go through the motions of filling out the law and still be a lawbreaker and not really believe and split hell wide open. when the prophet says I have no delight in the blood of bull and goats 
okay? This is a prophet of the Old Testament saying this, okay? He's trying to tell you that these blood of this bulls and goats means nothing. I want a circumcised heart. I want a heart that is circumcised after me, that believes in me, that is putting their faith in me. Amen? This, this is unequivocally what's taught even through the law that God wants our heart. He wants our affections. Amen? Uh, let's keep going before, because I could preach on that all night and I don't want to. I want to get through this. <laughs> he says, uh, now it's interesting how Peter says that those sins vexed Lot as he saw them day by day. Did you catch what Peter said there? He said, they vexed that righteous man. Do you understand that we being uh, made righteous in Christ live in a world that is just as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah? And I would say America is probably five times, 500 times worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm just telling you right now that it vexes righteous people to live in this kind of society. So we constantly have to keep going back to the throne of grace, getting our refreshment, using every mean of, means of grace that we can, whether it be reading our uh, private devotion time, family devotion time, family worship time, private prayer time, coming to church, fellowshipping with other believers, having communion one with another, partaking of the Lord's table, partaking of fellowship, praying one for another. All of these things are means of grace that God gives us to sustain us because our souls are being vexed just like Lot's was day by day seeing this wickedness in this world. Amen? If we keep reading Peter, that's surely the direction he's going, talking about that, okay? If you keep reading it, go home and read 1 Peter 2 tonight, the whole thing. Or 2 Peter 2, the whole thing. It'll make a lot of sense, what I just said right there, okay? Once you read it, you're going to be like, yep, that's it, Pastor. All right, let's keep going. <clears throat> Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. He bows himself to the ground. And, and uh, it's interesting that he tells them, come on inside in verse 2. And he said, they said, no, no, we're going to stay out in the street all night. Why? Because these angels were just going to wait in the street and behold the wickedness of this city and then destroy it. But he compels them. He presses them greatly, it said. He, he, he's emphatic. He's like, no, you don't get it. You have to come inside. You're, it is not safe outside. It's not safe for men. It is, a, it is a very telling thing that Lot is compelling them so harshly to come inside. That's how wicked this city was. And when I just, uh, just a moment ago, I said I think America's five times worse. I don't think America's that worse or that much worse because it's obviously not this bad in America where you can't stand out in a street all night long without being gang raped by a bunch of men. So I was wrong in that assessment, okay? I just think that the, 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 the depravity that's being shown here, that these two men 
can't stand in the middle of the town all night long without being abused. Okay, that's how bad it was. That's what Lot was worried about, okay? And it's interesting that right after he makes this and implores them greatly, they come into his house, they eat a feast. Now, what's, what does he make for them? Remember, the law is not around yet, okay? Remember, there's no laws about what you can eat, what you have to do this way or that way, any of that, okay? What does he make for them? Unleavened bread. Why unleavened bread? Why? This has to be a foreshadowing of several things. N namely, number one, the deliverance from Egypt, okay, and the, the, the look at the Passover meal, okay, with the unleavened bread and the feast of unleavened bread. And not that leaven is always, even in the Jewish community, thought of as sin or sins of the outside world that come in and we, we're purifying our, you know, that their thought, we're purifying ourselves by keeping the leaven out, right? And, and, and Jesus tries to tell them, it's not the leaven that's in your house that's the problem, it's the leaven in your heart that's the problem, <laughs> amen? And, and we, we spend so much time trying to keep the leaven out of your house, Jewish man, that you don't understand that there's leaven in your heart, right? And uh, so this unleavened bread also speaks forward to Christ and coming to, to the bread of life who has no leaven in him. Amen. Jesus Christ is the pure bread that has come down from heaven. He's holy bread. He's not mixed with anything else. He's purely holy, the bread of heaven unleavened, unspoiled by the world. Amen? So we have to understand that as well. Uh, next, verse 4, it says, before they even laid down. Now, I don't know where these men had spies, but they had to have had spies to spot out that these men had come into the city and went to Lot's house, okay? So uh, these men had lookouts, this is how depraved it was. They had lookouts to find new men who came to town who they have not laid with yet. And people go, oh, you don't know that that's what they're doing. Why, why do you just assume they want to lay with them? Okay, let's look at the context of this, okay? Because I'm going to read a little bit of it to you, and then we'll talk about it. Before they even laid down, the men in the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed round about the house. Well, why did they compass round about the house? They were cutting off any escape route, right? They were making sure that these men wasn't getting away. That's what they were doing, cutting them off, right? Both young and old, young men, old men, all people from every quarter, every man, old and young in the city was coming to partake of this. This is wicked. Truly wicked. Now watch this. And they called out unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to this, into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And Lot went out, out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. Now watch Lot's response. Lot shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, 
do not sow wickedly. Why would he call it wickedness, what they were wanting to do? If, if all they wanted to do was get telephone numbers and be like, hey, what's your stall number? What's your donkey number? You know, uh, you know how long are you going to be in town? I just want to get to know you, right? If that's all they were doing, then it wouldn't be wicked if all they wanted was information, right? So we know that this knowing them has nothing to do with them getting information. It's the same kind of knowing that we have seen all throughout the Bible to this point that Adam knew Eve and they had a son. Cain knew his wife and they had children, okay? These men wanted to know them. And this wickedness is implied very emphatically in Lot's response. Do not so wickedly. Now, I'm not sure what Lot's thinking right now. Because every mother in the room would have been freaking out. In the next verse, okay? You, you just let these words come out of your mouth, men. When your wife's standing around and you got daughters, he says, and, and uh, behold, I have two daughters which have not known a man. Now, what does this have to do anything if, if it's all about just getting to know people? This makes no sense in the story if that's what's going on. But what is going on is they want to have intercourse with these men. And he's now offering his daughters. He said, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do to them as good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came thee, uh, for therefore they came they under the shadow of my roof. Now there's a couple things here. Number one, I think it is utterly detestable that, so, that Lot's solution to the problem of, of these men creating a wicked homosexual act is to offer his daughters up who are married. They're already married. Now, they haven't been laid with a man yet, so it implies that they're still betrothed and they haven't actually come together with their husband yet, but they're still married. What's going, what, what Lot does is go, okay, homosexuality, that's wrong. Here, I'm going to give you my daughters. Adultery is better. Fornication, if you want to even go that far because they hadn't laid with a man yet. Isn't that, how, isn't that how carnally minded people treat sin? They think this sin is worse than that sin. So uh, to, to, uh, I'll do this one instead of that one. It'll be better. No. Both of these solutions are terrible, okay? This, this solution is horrible. And then he tells them, do, and do ye to them as is good in your own eyes. Well, first of all, the, they don't have any good in their own eyes, okay? It's obvious that these men are very depraved and wanting to come and molest these other men, okay? So you're going to give your two daughters to these men and expect them to make good decisions on what is good to do to your daughters. This is a terrible idea. Terrible. And I, I 
submit to you, which is exactly why these two angels pulled Lot back inside. It's like, hey, this is a dumb idea. Don't be doing that, okay? Look at what happens next. And they say, stand back. And they said again, this fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will he deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and they came near to break the door. So they're pressing in on Lot, and they're saying, okay, if you don't give us these two men, we're going to do to you what we were going to do to them, and we're going to break the door down and get them anyway. That's Kevin O'Connor paraphrased, okay? And then he says, but the men, now they've switched, okay? The men inside, now it's talking about. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. These angels were like, this guy is not helping himself. He ain't helping his daughters. He's not helping this situation. Let's just get him out of the street and back in the house, okay? They probably saved Lot's life, and then they strike these men with blindness that they wearied themselves looking for the door, it says, right? So they smote him with blindness, and then they asked Lot, have you anyone else here besides your sons and sons-in-laws and your, your daughters and whosoever he has in the city? Tell them to get out, because this place is going to be destroyed, right? I like verse 13 is very clear. It says, because the cry of them has waxed great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. This tells you emphatically that the cry of this wickedness in this city has went up before the very face of God. You see how uh, at the beginning of this, God said, I have to see if this cry is as great as I've heard, okay? But now we have clarity that this Wickedness has come before the very face of God. So he's not oblivious to this wickedness. Amen. He didn't leave heaven to come find out about it. He knows all things. And this wickedness was before his very face. And God is about to judge them. Amen. Now he went out to speak to his sons, his sons-in-law, and tell them, hey, you need to get up out of here. But it says in verse 14, but they seemed as, but he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Now, verse 14, it says these sons-in-law were blind to God's wrath against Sodom's sins, and they thought Lot was joking. Now, I don't understand why he would betroth his daughters to men who didn't fear God. This is obviously another misstep in Lot's lifestyle choices. Amen. Now, Peter still calls him righteous. Amen. Uh, we got to understand this righteousness is not based on Lot's actions. Right? This is the point driven home in this narrative because it ends very terribly. Right? It ends with you know, incest with his daughters and having children with them. So, I mean, this whole thing is filled with very bad choices on Lot's part. That should give you hope, okay? <laughs> it should give you hope that if God can be so gracious and merciful and kind and compassionate to Lot, 
and call Lot righteous. There's hope for you and me. And it's in Christ. And it's in his righteousness. And not my own. Amen? Uh, let's finish it. It said, when the morning arose, the angel hastened Lot. Why is Lot still there? Okay? The angel's already told you in the night, you need to get yourself out of here, right? Get everything you have and get out of here. And Lot's just lingering around, right? It says, when the morning arose, and then the angel again hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, upon the hand of his wife, upon the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. Notice that phrase. That phrase is exactly what happens to you and to me because we, without God's aid, without God's help, would linger even in sinful, dreadful situations. And we have. Can I get an amen? We have lingered in terrible, sinful, dreadful situations when we knew we shouldn't have, and it took an act of God's mercy to draw our hearts, to move our minds, to get our butts in gear away from those things. Amen? Even as Christians, bad thoughts, bad in, you know, uh, intentions, stupid sins, hidden sins. Amen? All those things that God delivers us from. Amen? Uh, but I love how it words that the Lord being merciful unto them, and they brought him forth and set him outside the city. And it came to pass that as they brought him out, they said to him, Escape for thy life. So God delivers him again and says, Look, dummy, get out of here. Right? Run. Escape for your life. And Lot here is told to go to the mountains. And then he says, hey, I don't want to go to the mountains. I might go up there and, you know, a polar bear might get me or something. And I'll die, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a break, Mike. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what kind of dangers are in the mountains, but I don't want to live in the mountains with all this dangerous stuff. I might die, okay. It's interesting to me that Lot convinces the angel, let me go to this city over here. It's just a little bitty speck of the dust city. Nobody lives there. Nobody cares about this city. Nobody there is against God. Nobody's there doing all this wicked stuff. Let me escape to this city. And the angel, he's like, look, you've convinced me. I'll let you go do that, okay? You go to that city, it's fine. But Lot, when he gets to this city... It's got to be thinking about the Lord telling him to go to the mountains. He's too afraid to actually stay in the city. And what does he do? He goes up to a mountain and finds a cave and stays there. So he kind of reminds me of the parable that Jesus told. He said, a man had two sons. And he told this one, hey, go do this. And the son said, no, no, I'm not going to do it. But later he thought better of it and he went and did it. And then he told his other son, hey, go do this. And the son said, I will, but he never went and done it. Which one of these two did their father's will, he asked, right? 
And it's obvious, even though Lot made terrible decisions, even though Lot talks this angel into letting him go to this other city, in the end, Lot ends up doing exactly what the angel told him to do in the first place, flee to the hills, go to the mountains to escape. Right? And that's where he ended up staying. Now, even in his decision-making to go up there, while it was a good idea to follow what the angel said, he still goes up there and makes terrible decisions again, okay? <laughs> right? I mean, if, if this chapter were a, a, a checklist of Lot being righteous in his own righteousness, he would utterly fail. Okay, like if this chapter was the measuring stick for us to go, yeah, Lot was righteous. We would look at it and go, oh, no way, right? I mean, he, here in a minute, he's just going to get drunk two nights in a row and sleep with his daughters. It's terrible, right? Tries to give them to these men. It's just unfathomable. But the reality that Lot was righteous not because of his actions has got to be seen that he was righteous because he believed in the God of Abraham. And he was in covenant with that God of Abraham in, in his heart, obviously, and in his flesh. He was circumcised. Now, he made some terrible choices. But God does not make you righteous based on your choice. It makes it righteous based on faith in him. Amen? Now, that's not to say that we, if Lot, if they would have had a church at the time, okay? If there was such a thing as uh, the gathering of the believers even, like we see in the Mosaic time, okay? They would have set him down and been like, what is this crazy stuff you're doing going to Sodom and Gomorrah, living in the plains, living like a Sodomite, uh, doing business with Sodomites? What are you doing, Lot? I think we need more pastors that look at their people and say, hey, you know, you're into this business and that business and these people ain't really Christians and they really aren't promoting the good things that Christian folks ought to be promoting. Why are you doing that? We ought to be able to do that one to another. Amen. Had Lot stayed with Abram, he would not have been in that position. But like many believers who don't want to submit to the authority of the covenant, They get outside of that and they go make foolish choices. And eventually, they have to come back. Amen? Finally, I want to talk. God brings judgment against them, right? Uh, verse 24, And the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. This is a very specific statement, okay? He makes sure you know that God's the one that sent the fire and the brimstone, that not only did God send it, it came from God out of heaven, okay? So I have, I have in mind that this has got to be, you remember when Isaiah saw the Lord 
And an angel flew over to the altar and grabbed a coal off the altar and touched it to his lips. When he said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, living a people of unclean lips. And that angel takes that coal off the altar and touches his lips and cleanses him, right? That's the symbolism there. I have to think that this fire and brimstone is the fire off of the altar of heaven raining down judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Amen? And the reason I say that is because only that fire from off the altar where, where atonement's made would quench the sin that was so wicked in Sodom and Gomorrah. Understanding this also that Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth is perfectly reasonable to assume that the eternal or pre-incarnate Christ who was talking with Abraham who has went into the heavenly place to make atonement for all of us has rained this fire and this brimstone down upon him. Sodom and Gomorrah himself. Amen? Now, I'm going to end with this. His wife looks back. She turned to a pillar of salt. You could sit here all night and uh, extrapolate reasons for her being turned into salt. And, oh, why salt? Why did she get turned into salt? I think the important part was that she didn't listen to God. She disobeyed a strict command of the angel do not look back right that's the important part not what she got turned into but what happened as a judgment on her disobedience Abram gets up and looks over there and he says the fire looks like the fire of a furnace right it says in verse 29 that God remembered Abraham so now we know that not only did God deliver Lot because he wanted to save righteous Lot, but it's because Abraham, God remembered Abraham. What did he remember about Abraham? I will bless those that bless you. Lot was a blessing to Abraham. Lot and Abraham gathered so much stuff at one point that they had to part ways because they were so successful together. Abram loved Lot. Abraham had already, had already pleaded the case for, for Sodom and Gomorrah. If anybody would be righteous, he has petitioned God. And God remembered Abraham and delivered Lot. Very important statement. And then finally we have Lot going up to Zohar and dwelling in the mountains in a cave. And this final act that we hear about from Lot going and basically just living as a hermit, getting drunk, laying with his two daughters is just an epitome of how far Lot's course went off 
when he left Abraham. He left the comfortable understanding of fellowship with Abraham and all that it brought. Okay? Fellowship with Abraham being part of the covenant meant security for Lot. He didn't have to worry about, you know, the wickedness of the plains necessarily because Abram was there. Abraham had his back, right? He didn't have to uh, worry about not having any men around for his daughters to be with. Not only that, the men that were with Abraham would have had godly men who loved Yahweh, who served this God of Abraham, right? But it just goes to show you how fellowship outside of the covenant means can lead you to very destructive ends that are not, that are not profitable for Christians, that are not profitable for believers. Amen? People go, why do you expect people to be at church and be in fellowship with other believers? Because there's benefits, there's security, there's structure in being in a church where people know you and love you, who want to help you, who have your back. And there's also benefits of having confined, an understanding of confinement in what I can and can't do. It's called accountability, right? Lot had no one to be accountable to. Amen? If he would have been with Abram and told Abram, hey, I'm gonna, there's guys here and they want to sleep with these two men and, and, and I told them they can have my daughters, Abraham probably would have been shocked, right? Like, what did you say? Abram would have already got his swords out and been like, no, we're going to take these guys out because they're wicked, Right? He did it when Lot got captured. Abraham wasn't even part of the war, okay? But when he heard his kinsmen got hung up in that war and was captured, he just grabbed, what was it, 300 of his uh, best men or fighting men and goes and delivers them, right? Abraham would have handled that very differently. Lot and his choices are pretty evident that he wasn't following the kind of thought process that he would have followed had he stayed where Abraham was. And generally speaking, most people, when they're faithful to a church and they're attending church regularly and they're part of a body of believers that they, they, they love them, the church loves them, and they love the church and they're wanting to serve and help and do generally people are going to make much better decisions than they are when they leave the church, leave the fellowship of the saints, leave that sounding board that can give them good, friendly, brotherly advice. Amen. They're going to make horrible choices. Could they very well still be saved? Could they very well still be Christians? Sure. They're just going to be all messed up like Lot was. Amen. They're going to be caught in all kinds of wickedness. It's, it's going to be just like Second Peter said. It's going to vex their very soul day by day. Seeing that kind of wickedness. Making bad decisions. It's going to weigh on you. It's going to be hard for you to make those right decisions. 
when you're surrounded by such wickedness. Amen? That's what we saw happen to Lot. And, and the lure of the plains got him first. The plains in front of Sodom and Gomorrah were so beautiful, so fertile. I'll go over there by those cities. Pretty soon he's in the city. And he's captured, taken into captivity. Abraham delivers him. What's he do? Go right back to that city. It nearly cost him his life. It did cost him his wife. And then it cost him the purity of his daughters, his family line. Bad decisions. Amen. This is what it means when we talk as Christians about being in covenant relationship with Christ. Are we like Abraham, constantly coming back to worship God? Amen? Abraham was in communion with God. He, every, every, even later, you're going to hear, oh, and Abraham built an altar, and Abraham built an altar, right? He's worshiping God. He's following God. He's doing Everything in his level best to do God. Does he make bad decisions? Sure. But he doesn't end up in many of the same messes that Lot ends up in. Because Lot refused that fellowship, refused to really live out this covenant experience. Was he righteous? Yep, the Bible says so. But not because of what he did. Simply because he was a believer. Now, do you want to be one of those Christians that go to heaven? Are you saved? Yep. But did you live your whole life for Christ? Or were you drawn in by the world? Drawn in to the lust and enticed by the world. To worldly living. To following worldly lusts. I mean this is obviously the types of questions we have to ask ourselves in reading this narrative. Amen. God does not want that kind of Christian. Amen. Now he loves us and and sure, once God saves, he saves to the uttermost. But he definitely doesn't want you to live that way. And if you think that God wanted Lot to live that way, you have really messed up theology. <laughs> God would want Lot to live more righteous. Amen. Now, thank God for grace, because that's what Lot got. That's what Lot gets when anybody talks about Lot being righteous like Peter does, that's the grace of God. Forgetting Lot's sins, forgetting his mistakes, forgetting his mess-ups, and still calling him righteous Lot. Amen? And I pray that's what happens with me, because I know my past. I don't know your past, but you know your past. And I pray that that's how God works in my life, where... When, I, when the story's said and done, they'll say, Kevin, righteous man, by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we had tonight to finish Genesis 19. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, that you would give us a clear understanding of how often, like Lot, we need your grace and your mercy. God, how oftentimes we linger and, and, and uh, are enticed to linger. 
in horrible situations, in vexing situations to which we should not even be in. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful to deliver us, that if any of us do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, one Jesus Christ, the righteous, whoever lives to make intercession for us, who is constantly pleading the case, crying out, grace, grace, because he's the chief cornerstone. Lord, we ask for your help today, this week, this year, that we would be more like your son, Jesus, that we would be conformed by your word, by reading your word, by understanding and applying your word to our life. Lord, let your Holy Spirit help us to understand the word, help us to apply it to our life, because without you, it's not even possible. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.